Thanks, Ev. Good morning again. I wonder what you would do differently in your life if we were to know that in November the 5th, 2024, one year from now, we've got 12 months to go. That's it. Jesus is coming again. The rapture of the church. In 12 months, that's it. You don't have to think about the mortgage payments beyond 2024, 2025. High school, work, retiring. 12 months to go. What change would that make in our life? Jesus, God the Son, will come again. And he will judge every single person that has lived. And there is eternity for those that belong to his kingdom. And there is judgment for those that do not belong. Eternity in a lake of fire. And today, all of us have a choice. To believe by faith in Jesus as our Saviour and Lord and belong to his kingdom for eternity or to reject it and not belong. We we are in the middle of spending time in parables. The the story that teaches, the telling of a story that teaches a a moral, um, a religious uh, uh, truth, a spiritual lesson. And Jesus constantly speaks in parables. But what we have here in Matthew 25, in these verses, actually, as I look at it, I think is much less a parable and much more a prophetic word of Jesus Christ. But we're still going to look at it today and we're still going to have it in this series. And it's based on a response, an answer from Jesus to his disciples who questioned him in Matthew 24, 3, what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of your coming? And so it's important to be mindful as we come to these verses this morning, what is my understanding What is my interpretation of eschatology? What's the context in which I'm going to understand these words of Jesus? And perhaps this morning you sit here and you say, well, I don't really have a viewpoint and that's okay. But I want to share with you the three main viewpoints of eschatology and share with you where I will be coming to these verses from. The first is a term you may have heard, amillennialism. And that, without going into all the detail, some key points is that it takes a figurative view of the thousand-year reign of Christ, not a literal view. 
that at the second coming of Christ is the same time the rapture will occur. That God's promises made to Israel in the Old Testament, those covenants will become true through Jesus and the church. The second one is post-millennialism. Very much similarly aligned to amillennialism. While the church is seen to be productive with the gospel as well as suffering for the gospel, post-millennialism also believes in a peaceful and rich time of evangelism that will come to the church ahead of the return of Jesus. And then there is what is known as premillennial. Now, premillennial takes a, a literal and a, a chronological view of Revelation 21 to 6. That there will be the rapture of the church, as 1 Thessalonians 4 puts it. At a time when none of us know the time or the hour that we will be caught up, the church will be removed from the earth and caught up with the Lord. And that God's focus turns then to his promises with Israel. And that at that time, a seven-year tribulation period begins, followed by the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Christ will reign for a thousand years. Satan will be chained up and while there will be still be sin in the world, there will be a greater peace on earth. And a thousand years later in Revelation 27, it says there will be a final battle. Satan is set loose and there will be a huge number that will still reject Jesus and Satan rounds them all up to attack Jesus and the kingdom in Jerusalem. And it says there in Revelation 27, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They march across the breadth of the earth, surround the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the verses go on to talk about Satan then being thrown into the lake of fire. We come to a great white throne judgment. All the dead from the beginning of time to the very last of this fire devouring people will be consumed. And at that judgment, the book of life is opened and for those whose names are not in the book of life they will be judged on their actions and their decision to reject Jesus and so will begin an eternity in the lake of fire. It's heavy I know and it's not something we always speak of but it's biblical and I believe it's what is coming for this earth and for God's creation. And it's where I stand this morning on and this is the context to which we want to come to these words of Jesus. 
Um, you, you might not agree with that timeline. You might not agree with the content and the order of things that I've presented. And, and that's okay. Uh, there are greater minds than me who, who agree. And there are greater minds than me that disagree. But as we come to these verses, this is the context. This is the context with that pre-millennial view of what is to come that we come to understand and look at the meaning of Jesus' words in Matthew 25. Jesus came 2,000 years ago in humility. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give his life and to live as a human. But when he comes again, it is not meek and mild. It is in glory and power and authority. I I sat in the office this morning and pulled the blind up and the right top right-hand corner, the sun was glaring through the window. And as I was thinking about this coming of Christ in no longer in a meek and mild, but in glory. Uh, I just can't get my head around what that would look like. But as I consider just the glory of this, the sun that beams its heat millions of miles down to us, we can't even look into it. We've got to get a grasp on what is to come Jesus will come in glory and power and overthrow Satan and evil. And today we should be as urgent as ever to tell people about Jesus. In the words of Jesus, he has the sheep on his right who are welcomed into the kingdom that he has prepared for them. And the goats on the left in the lake of fire. And what we can conclude this morning is that God judges sin. Nothing will go unnoticed. A holy and righteous God. And this prophecy in these verses, we can look at it in two sections. And the first really is the setting of the judgment. The setting of the judgment. The Son of Man comes in glory and the angels with him and sit on the throne in heavenly glory with the nations gathered round him. And he will separate them, the sheep from the goats, the setting. And secondly is the judgment itself, what it looks like. What does this judgment mean for the sheep and the goats? And so the four questions we want to ask ourselves and answer this morning from these verses, and the first one is, who will judge? Well, that one is pretty straightforward, isn't it? The verse 31 says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. The answer is none other than Jesus Christ. The Son of Man is the title Jesus uses most about himself. It's a title that comes from Daniel 7.13. 
where Daniel prophetically speaks to the second coming of Jesus Christ. He said, one like the Son of Man is coming. And it conveys his incarnation and his humanity, that these God in flesh, his humility and his lowliness as a human, but also that he is everything who God is. Jesus is also given the title the Son of God, two natures in one person. And isn't that interesting that it is the Son of Man who is perfectly suited to judge mankind? We can never question, but God doesn't know what it's like for me. I think... uh, as a, as a strategy by elbow, we all know who elbow is, don't we? <clears throat> not not this thing here. Yeah, that's the that's with the e. But elbow to connect with Aussies, we've heard a lot about his background. That he was someone who didn't come from privilege. That they've made it very clear time and time again. I think it's a good strategy to connect with people. Hey. You've got a guy who was raised by a single mum in poverty, public housing. We like to be able to connect with people that we're not over and above them. And I think when we consider the authority of Jesus, who is perfectly suited to judge mankind, who knows what it's like to be tempted, yet he was without sin. John 5.22, Jesus says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgments to the Son. All judgments. There is not just one judgment at one time, but all will be delivered by Jesus Christ. He came to love and to die for our sins, And he's coming again to judge sins of all mankind. Who is the judge? It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. The next question then from these verses, when will he judge? When will this judgment take place? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Jesus is coming again and he's not coming back alone. He's coming with the angels. What a thought. And according to Revelation 20, also coming along is the raptured church to come and reign with Christ. A reference to the second coming. Matthew 24, what will be the sign of your coming? That's the question. Jesus answers. And I want to suggest three reasons, and there's probably more, and in detail, not too much detail for the first two, but three reasons Jesus Christ comes back. First, to restore creation. Reverse the curse of sin. The second is to reign, which is to fulfill 
the Davidic covenant that on David's throne, his son would reign over an eternal kingdom for that to be fulfilled. And our text this morning involves the third reason, which is for retribution, to judge sin, that there will be justice. There's a lot of times in our world where we don't believe justice has been delivered. And it often means whoever you have as a lawyer, if you pay enough money, you'll probably get the result you want. We often hear on the news of people, victims of crime, who constantly say to the media, justice has not been served. It's not right. But at this judgment, no one can fool Jesus. There will be no need for expensive lawyers and juries. He is omniscient and knows all things and will come back in true holiness and glory to judge. Where will he judge? Well, I've already mentioned the the Davidic throne, that he will sit on the throne of his glory, the reign of the son of David that is promised to David in 2 Samuel 7. And this is a covenant of God which promises a descendant of David to reign on the throne over the people of God, a continuation of the earlier covenants that promises the security of land, descendants and blessing to Israel. And I think you see why 2,000 years ago the Jews were looking for a king who would reign. They thought their Messiah was coming to rule and reign in Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecies. But Jesus, 2,000 years ago, came to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. But he is coming again. And he will judge on the throne. And he will rule this earth. The shepherd here is a a metaphor fitting for Jesus. Jesus who called himself the good shepherd. Jesus who gave his life for the sheep. Who will be judged? I think I've missed a page. Verse 32, 33 speaks about all the nations, all the nations who will be gathered before him. Who are all the nations? The word, the word here, nations, is quite frequently used for Gentiles. And you may have a, a, a subheading, the judgment of Gentiles in this, uh, in your, in your uh, Bible. It could be the sheep and the goats. It could be a number of things. But I believe this is the judgment of the Gentile nations. People will be separated based on their relationship with God 
evidenced in the way that they treat God's chosen people, the Jews, throughout the tribulation period. Notice verse 32, he will separate them one from another. Only God can do that because he knows the sheep from the goats, the believers from the non-believers. Well, who are the sheep then? The sheep are the saved Gentiles. They are whoever is saved at the end of the tribulation period. The sheep is, I believe, is not the church because they have already been raptured, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so the judgment of the Gentiles supports a pre-tribulation rapture because if the rapture was to happen at the end of the tribulation, there would be no need to separate sheep and goats. But since the rapture occurs before the second coming, there is a time during the tribulation for people to turn to Jesus. And Jesus is talking to those on his right hand, the position of authority, the place of privilege. You are invited. It's an invitation I have prepared a place. Then the king will say to those on his right, verse 34, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. We live in an age of grace. It's a privileged position. It's a special time in history from 2,000 years ago to now. I recognise it is difficult, as we've talked about this morning, in some places around the world to be a Christian. People are putting their life on the line for Christ. We are blessed we don't need to do that here in Monty or Australia, really. There might be criticisms in our sporting clubs, in our families. There might be rejection. There might be loss of relationships and friendships. It might be awkward and we face our own difficulties. But I believe when the church is taken out and raptured from this earth that those years of tribulation is going to be terrible, especially those last three and a half years. 
horrendous, cruel and evil. And the world has not seen anything like it. And it will be incredible that there will be those who reject the mark of the beast. There will be those that show compassion and love and care for the persecuted Jews. And their works will be evidence of their salvation. And that's always the way it's laid out in the New Testament, that works will never save you, but saving faith will produce good works. Who are the goats in this story? Remembering the context to what we're coming to this passage with. They are the unsaved Gentiles at the end of the tribulation, the lost. And they are referred to as cursed. As the sheep are referred to as blessed and coming into an inheritance, a place in the kingdom prepared for them, they are, they are referred to as cursed. And the goats will receive the lake of fire. And if you notice, not prepared for them. In verse 34, we see first that you take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. The kingdom is prepared for God's creation to come by faith and spend eternity in his presence. The lake of fire, that place was prepared for Satan and the demons. Not prepared for creation, not prepared for humanity. Oh, how it must hurt the creator to see his creation reject who he is and say no to the offer of forgiveness and salvation. This place was not intended and not prepared for the created. Verse 41 says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Just as there were Gentiles with a heart that received Jesus as their Lord and showed the compassion and love and care, putting their life on the line, living in terrible times, there will be many Gentiles hardening their hearts and live lives that show no care and no compassion. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did not do it to me. And Jesus, 
on his throne. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire. It's frightening, you know, the end of humanity, the end of times. Many, many people will live without even considering what is to come. There are only two groups. There is no third party or a fourth group or a fifth place. There are only two groups. There is the place prepared for creation, the heavenly kingdom, and there is the place prepared for the devil and his angels, but also those who are not, who those who reject Jesus, where they will spend eternity. And as you sit here this morning, the only thing that matters is not how good you are or how bad this week has been for you. The only thing that matters is, do you believe by faith that Jesus Christ died for your sin and rose again to life? Do you belong to the kingdom? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes will not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world will be saved through him. I told you we are living in a privileged age of grace. The opportunity is for every person, every day, repent. The message from Acts 2, the beginning of the church age to now, repent. Because this is happening. This is coming. It might not be in the next week or next month. It may not even be in the next year, but this is coming. Are we ready? Have we made the choice to believe? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And as hard as it can be to understand at times and as difficult it can be to comprehend, Father, we thank you that it is the truth and we come with confidence knowing that you have given us your word to teach us about who you are that we may come in humility and accept the gift of grace that is Jesus Christ as our Saviour. May the truth of your word impact on the way that we live, on the way that we treat people, on the way that we love and forgive. May Jesus be known because of this church and because of our lives in the community we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.